Another pot of coffee is brewing, even though I have actually only just poured my third cup yet. Because for me, it's always necessary to have a pot on the go. Also, didn't you hear that having at least three cups of freshly brewed is good for the health? I was very, very happy to hear that. Apparently, recent studies have shown that having three cups of coffee a day is good for you. So that's me set for life. Going by that, despite the diabetes and anemia, I should live to be about 100. Now, if only they could sort out that aging process, because I really don't want or need any more eye wrinkles. All that means is that it's time for the next book episode of Not Before Coffee Season 4. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, TV show marathoner, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. Light the candles, get yourself a fresh cup of something hot, or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening, of course, and let's get started. This week, I started off rather disciplined. I purchased just two books on Sunday that were delivered on Monday, and that night devoured one of them in a matter of hours. Yes, I ate up the storyline as though it was a big box of Lindor, which I also had delivered at the same time. And just last night, I ordered another one because I was in the mood for something really light and easy to read in between reading the book for next week that has now been postponed twice. The book I've selected for this week is not the one I started out with every intention of reading and reviewing. In fact, when it comes to genre, it's probably at the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I have to be honest, part of the reason why I changed books is due to eye strain. I have an appointment at the opticians this week, so with any luck, my current inability to read small print for any considerable length of time will be eliminated after that. I will no longer be going to sleep with itchy eyes and minor irritation. The book I have been reading is very tiny print and I am enjoying it, but it's taking me much longer than I would have liked. There's also the fact that not only is this episode coming out on Valentine's Day, well, it was meant to come out on Valentine's Day, but then life intervened, but it's also my birthday week. Not that I celebrate for a whole week, I don't really even get the whole day. So I decided to go through my newer books and pick something that hark back to my teen years when my reading decisions were more limited and I didn't mind that in the least. For those two reasons alone, I decided to pick up the his one historical romance that I have purchased in the last few months. Time was that most of my new books would have been in that particular genre, but gone are the days of Julie Garwood, Joanna Lindsay and Judith McNaught, the three authors I would always pick up without hesitation. So this week I am going back to London in 1838, the start of Queen Victoria's reign, for the latest novel from author Sarah McLean, Bombshell. Sometimes the best gentleman for the job is a lady. After years of living as London's brightest scandal, Lady Cecily Talbot has embraced the reputation and the freedom that comes with the title. 
No one looks twice when she lures a gentleman into the dark gardens beyond a Mayfell ballroom, and no one realises those trysts are not what they seem. No one, that is, but Caleb Calhoun, who has spent years trying not to notice his best friend's beautiful, brash, brilliant sister. If you ask him, he's been a saint about it, considering the way she looks at him and the way she talks to him and the way she'd felt in his arms during their one ill-advised kiss. Except someone has to keep Cecily from tumbling into trouble during her dangerous late-night escapades. And maybe close proximity is exactly what Caleb needs to get this infuriating, outrageous woman out of his system. But now Caleb is the one in trouble, because he's fast realising that Cecily isn't for forgetting. She's forever. And forever isn't something he can risk. Now, bear with me here. I know that historical romance isn't for everyone. But whatever your view, most books have an element of romance within them, whether it's the story of Arwen and Aragorn or Lancelot and Guinevere. Yeah, I said Lancelot, not Arthur. Bear with me. So for this week, I am going for straight up historical romance with a slight veer towards feminism, though it's definitely not so blatant for me it takes away from the core purpose of the story. Bombshell is the story of troublemaker and notorious scandal, Lady Cecily Talbot. She's anything but demure, but she also has purpose. The book begins in 1836, the year before Victoria commenced her reign, and Cecily has just watched as the one man in the world she has any feelings for won't reciprocate, instead deciding to leave the country. She's frustrated and in need of focus when she is summoned to the home of another woman whose reputation is just as scandalous as her own, the Duchess of Treviscan. The book then skips forward two years and we have entered the reign of Queen Victoria. Women are running businesses, a brewery, brothel, bar, and a group of men unhappy at the prospect of this happening are making things very difficult. That's where Cecily, the Duchess, and two other women, Adelaide and Imogen, come in. These four women stand up for the underdog, defending the women who are unable to help themselves. Now, this isn't to say that they are weak or incapable, merely that they are in abusive marriages or being sold off by their ambitious fathers for money and status. Caleb is friends and in business with one of Cecily's sisters, and this is one of many reasons why he is doing his absolute best to keep his distance. It's all about self-preservation, because what else would it be about? There is something to be said for a novel that wants to right the wrongs that were definitely done to women, whatever their status. However, sometimes it can feel as though you're being hit over the head with a sledgehammer in order to do it. This book is quite clever in the way that it entwines with the rest of the story, that of Cecily and Caleb, the one man in all of London who, for whatever reason, is doing everything in his power to stay out of her circle. So now I've established who the central characters in the romance are, we get to the actual story. Having skipped forward two years, Cecily is now a 30-year-old daredevil in The Rebellious Quartet. She is the lady who ensures that the plans to get revenge on unscrupulous men who use and abuse women who aren't in a position to defend themselves. Her latest act to humiliate and expose is somewhat subtle and in many ways feels rather juvenile, labelling a man rotter with the word itself scrawled on his forehead. 
Cecily's reputation is such that people believe her frivolous and she is incredibly unlikely to be suspected. People see her heading into the maze of Vauxhall Gardens and assume that she is heading to her latest romantic rendezvous. As she is running from this act against the patriarchy, Cecily bumps into Caleb, the man who two years previously rejected her and turned her into a woman who has little interest in making a connection because they aren't him. Caleb has been gone for two years, having retreated to Boston in an effort to resist Cecily's allure. Wow, I can't think of the word allure without thinking of that episode in Miranda where <laughs> they're talking about allure. I have the allure. Anyway, he has a business to run and incredible loyalty to his friends. So we have a reluctant hero and a self-rescuing damsel who is not at all in distress, even when she gets herself into dangerous situations. True love is a journey that never did run smooth, and in this story, it's not all different. Cecily is not only fighting against the injustice she and her friends are seeing, but also Caleb's determination to resist her and the feelings she knows they have for each other. It sounds strange, but there are a few things that a woman always knows when it comes to this type of novel, and there are many things she doesn't. She knows that Caleb is hiding something from her and she is going to do anything she can to find out this secret and change his mind about the distance they are keeping from each other. Cecily is nothing if not persuasive and intent on getting exactly what she wants. And despite the fact that he does his absolute best to stay away, Caleb is unable to resist her and her wiles. But there is this feeling that he doesn't really want to. It's clear that part of him wants exactly what Cecily wants, but he has more reasons to do nothing about it. Despite doing her best to put on a front, Cecily is hurt when Caleb pushes her away, avoiding her at any cost. And this is the moment where you realise that it's not about his being able to resist her charms. There are some real emotions at play. Caleb is pushing Cecily away because of the man he used to be, past actions that he is sure will affect his current life if he opens up and allows himself to care for anyone who could be used as a weapon to hurt him. He is not only protecting himself against hurt, but the woman he refuses to admit he loves. Unfortunately, Cecily is not about to let him make decisions for her. As soon as she realises that Caleb has a secret, Cecily does everything she can to find out what it is. She is uncaring of her own safety and in her drive to find out and also carry out her work as part of the quartet of troublemakers, she puts herself firmly in the centre of a gender war that could well get her killed. Violence against women and their endeavours in the city has escalated to the point that a group known as the Bully Boys, with funding from men in positions of power, have started to cause damage to female-run businesses. Their job is to instil fear in anyone who dares to step a foot away from the place that society believes them to belong. One evening, Cecily and her friends are in a bar that is run and frequented by many of their friends, a place where they can enjoy an evening without having to obey all the rules of society that relate to their being women when the bully boys attack. Their intent is to destroy this business and frighten the women into staying silent and meek and doing what they have done for centuries – obey their husbands, fathers, brothers and any other male that is in charge of their family status. 
Cecily and her friends have no intention of backing down. In fact, they fight back with all the weapons at their disposal. Intelligence, wit, resistance, and in one instance, the desire to create bombs. Her display of rebellion puts her in the sights of a very powerful, wealthy and angry group of men who will stop at nothing to maintain the status quo. Wow. In all of this explanation, I have actually forgotten the central plot, as it should always be in a romance novel. The romance. We have the reluctant hero, the self-rescuing heroine, and neither of them wants to admit to having any weaknesses. Caleb is determined to stay away from Cecily, and she is doing everything she can to ensure that they bump into each other at every opportunity, even though she acts as though she has been trying to avoid him. The couple share their first kiss very early in the book, in fact, but I would definitely say that due to their stubbornness, it's something of a slow burn. However, once they do get going, despite Caleb's reticence, it's full steam ahead as Cecily refuses to take no for an answer, especially after he's given her a glimpse of the passion that lies beneath his reluctance. Things come to a head. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> my brain went in a funny place, see what I did there? When the couple is locked in a closet together and things get heated, though he is not prepared to take everything to its logical conclusion at that particular moment. Indeed, she'd been lost the moment his arm came tight around her, pulling her closer than she'd been, as that rumble became a growl, setting her aflame as he took over the kiss that she'd begun. These romantic interludes are incredibly brief. They punctuate the real action, which includes events such as Cecily and her friends trying to prevent the total destruction of female-led businesses in London, the discovery of Caleb's darkest secret, the plot to get revenge on one of the most crooked and corrupt earls in the country, who mistreats women and children and laughs all the way to the bank, where he's keeping all of his stolen money. Now, I'm not denying these events keep the story moving forward, but there are moments when I would really like more of the prose that goes into the historical romances I am more used to reading. Of course, what is a novel like this without a bit of scandal? Enter the very popular but still enjoyable trope, that of a couple attracted to each other, stranded in a place with only one bed. Oh no, what is our poor resistant duo to do? Why? What else? He fingered the bow slowly and deliberately, teasing them both with anticipation until a harsh breath shuddered through her and he was absolutely certain she wanted him. Caleb, she whispered, and the need in the word was enough to make him wild. Things don't always work out as you expect them to, but all romances have to end happily. Or at least that's the rule in my world if they're to be considered proper romances. Of course, as with the majority of Sarah McLean's books, this is the first in a brand new series. Though, if you are familiar with her other works, you will probably recognise many of the characters used in this one. The second book in McLean's Hell's Bells series, Heartbreaker, is due out in June 2022. As I say at this point in every single episode, I'm not about the spoilers. So while I have said there is a happily ever after, there are a few complicated twists and turns to get there. And there is no way I'm going to reveal them all. Because to do that would ruin the experience of reading it for yourself. 
Before I get into what I thought about the book in more detail, it's a relatively recent publication released as it was in August 2021. I have to be honest and say that Sarah McLean's novels and historical romance in general tends to be judged a little differently to many other genres I have read. I don't know why. Readers tend to suspend their disbelief, if only because unless we're talking an epic tome that is only a tiny bit romantic, the historical facts are incredibly loosely adhered to. That being the case, let's take a look at what other people thought of this addition to the intriguing Victorian era that Maclean created, and I say created, and I'll get into that later. All I can say when reading this one-star review from Travelbug is, ouch. They definitely have some strong opinions. Remember what I said about suspension of disbelief? I have a love-hate relationship with this author. I am currently on hate. I want to love her work, but this overly feminist plot did not work for me. I should have known to quit as soon as one of the characters used the word awesome in 1836. Now, if I want to read about a sexually promiscuous 30-year-old who does not want kids, I could pick up any contemporary romance. When I read historical romance, I want the feeling of the time period. I want the innocence of the women, and I like reading about her growing sensuality when she meets the right man. I think HR, historical romance, is going in the wrong direction, and it's authors like this who are going to turn away readers who want to escape modern times. I received an advance EARC from NetGalley in exchange for my honest opinion. And again, I say ouch. Crystal Cook felt very differently about the book, giving it a glowing five stars with the view that it was clever, sizzling, achingly romantic perfection. Finally, Caleb and Cecily's story, a slow burning, tightly woven plot culminating in a powerful and epic happily ever after. I loved it. This book was another impressive work by McLean. It is full of all the things we love about her work. Strong heroines with autonomy and agency. A fiercely loyal girl gang. A world set in a time we've never experienced. But that feels so vivid and real to us. Of course, heroes who are out of their minds in love with the heroine. This book had a bit of a slow start for me, which makes sense, considering it is the start of a new series, and Sarah is really laying the groundwork for an intricate plot for future books. But the payoff for that slow build was incredible, and one of the most satisfying reading experiences I've had in a long time. I needed to find a middle-of-the-road review, and believe it or not, that was actually rather difficult. However, I managed it. Heather Kay came through with her three-star opinion. I read a good amount of Sarah McLean, so I know what to expect with her romance books. Bombshell was pretty in line with my expectations. In some ways, it was very compelling, and in other ways, utterly ridiculous. I know Sarah McLean likes to write badass girl romances, and I deeply appreciate that, but I think sometimes she crosses the line from conceivable to historical punk fever dream. Is that a bad thing? I'm not sure. I think if the pacing had been brisker, I could have overlooked the flaws in the plot lines, but I found my attention dragging a bit through the middle. Even though there was plenty of action, it felt a bit long at times. I did enjoy the pining and the chemistry, though I wish they just communicated better all along. 
A fun read that kept me wanting to read more, but with lots of plot holes and ridiculous antics. I have to admit that I was surprised at the number of one and two star reviews I came across when looking for other people's views on the story, especially as there are always a few loyal fans who will cling desperately to an author, whether they have been producing clunkers for a while or not. You only have to look at the bestseller lists to see that. Seriously, I can name quite a few authors who I have given up on long ago. Cecily is a strong character who is not at all adverse to voicing her opinion, whether it's popular or not. She defends herself and resents when people stand up for her, even if they are doing it for her own good. And she certainly knows her own mind. All of this makes her sound like a total boss. But as many reviews stated, she felt far too contemporary given the time period the book is based in. It's very obvious what McLean was trying to do, and though I didn't feel as though I was being hit with a sledgehammer in the face to make the point, there were moments that felt a little bit like they had been shoehorned in. A perfect example of this being when she is visiting her sisters and their nine children. Her young nieces are giving their aunt a makeover when Caleb arrives, and their mother points out that they are spoilt. Her daughters point out that their brother will get more than they do, which is why they ask for presents. When asked what they mean by he gets more, it's a case of out of the mouths of babes. Ash gets everything. I beg your pardon, young lady. What does your brother get that you do not? A title. Cecily's sister, Sophie, then goes on to extol the virtues of everything she and her sisters have accomplished without the benefit of being male. As I said, it's not exactly blunt force trauma, but it's still incredibly obvious that there is a message being sent in Bombshell. When it comes to Caleb, I'm not sure what to say. I don't feel like we got to know enough about him. He was the flickering flame around Cecily's son, and I feel that made him into a very obvious secondary character in the book. By the end of the story, we know a little about his past. We know what happened in his past. But I still feel that it was a little bit lacking in rounding out what made him tick. Did I like the book? I will go further into my reasoning in a little bit. But when it came to rating it on Goodreads, I had to give it three stars. For me, that makes it a book that was okay, but not amazing. Not something I will reread. In short, it was all right, but it was lacking the things that would have made it into a book I would rave about. It was not the novel I was expecting either. It's certainly not the novel that the cover promised me. But then it seems that they rarely are these days. You know, don't judge a book by its cover. Definitely, <laughs> definitely makes sense here. I think that I was a little bit of a disadvantage when I chose to buy this novel over something in one of McLean's earlier series. But having enjoyed The Bare Knuckle Bastards, which ended last year, I was sure that I would not be steered too far wrong with this one. I feel a little bit betrayed, if I'm honest, especially as though it's advertised as the first in a new series, it has ties to books in others. So while people were invested in the story of Cecily because they had already been introduced to her and her shenanigans in the Scandal and Scoundrel series when all her sisters found their true loves, I hadn't read it. 
I know that I have already mentioned the historical fact that plays very little part in historical romantic fiction, but it would be nice if some research was actually done into what was going on during that particular period of British history. For anyone who doesn't know, during the Victorian era, women had far fewer rights than you would have thought given there was a woman on the throne. However, if a woman earned money, it was not hers to spend, it belonged to her father or her husband. If there was a divorce, then men automatically gained custody of any children from the marriage, while the mothers were allowed minimal, if any, rights to see them. However, it was also incredibly difficult for a woman to get a divorce until the late 1850s. All of that said, the most problematic thing for me is the age of the female protagonist. Cecily is 30 years old. She has been allowed to run riot, has had multiple affairs and indiscriminate liaisons, yet she is still accepted in polite society. Yes, I know it's wrong that women were judged for their behaviour if it was deemed anything less than appropriate. But however much it grates on the nerves that women's treatment is incredibly frustrating, this is historical romance and therefore changing these things just because they don't feel right doesn't sit right. Will I read more by Sarah McLean? As I've already mentioned, I have read her most recent completed series, The Bare Knuckle Bastards. In fact, I think I read them in like three days. And many reviews that I have since read recommend her older historical series, stating that they are far less like contemporary romance disguised as historical. I feel it would be unfair of me to write off Sarah McLean before giving her a fair shot, so I will try something else. Though I will give myself a bit of a break and perhaps add an old favourite to the roster. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else then you'll love these. Oh, <laughs> I have so many recommendations to give you. The first romances I read were historical. Barbara Taylor Bradford's A Woman of Substance, which was set during the earlier 20th century. Okay, I read it during the 20th century, but the book was still historical. So if you're looking for something based during the Victorian era, it would be worth picking up the Wallflower series by Lisa Klapis or the Bridgertons by Julia Quinn. Though, I have to be honest, neither of those series were ranking really high up there, but I know that other people really enjoy them. If you just want something historical, then taking a quick peek at one of my romance shelves, there are books by the amazing Julie Garwood, including her Bride series, The Wedding and the Bride, or you can pick up a Western with The Claiborne Brides and Come the Spring. And there are always the classics, such as The Mallory Family Saga by Joanna Lindsay and Something Wonderful by Judith McNaught, if you want Regency. I'll actually post a list of recommendations on my website this week. So if you're stuck and looking for an idea for historical romance, head over to notbeforecoffee.co.uk for inspiration. Leave the Lights On is a true crime podcast with a paranormal twist. Join creator Eliza and her co-host as they explore terrifying true stories and chilling crimes. Growing up, Eliza had an odd obsession with the darkest desires of humanity and an insatiable curiosity about the afterlife. Now, each week, Eliza brings you tales that will make you want to lock your doors, hide in your room, and of course, leave the lights on. Available on Spotify and Apple Podcast.
This week I've read just one book. The one I'm talking about. I have read bits of others but haven't finished any of them. I would say it's because I've hit something of a reading slump, but that would be a lie. I have been finding it difficult to read for any extended length of time because my eyes get tired. Yeah, I'm getting old. Staring at a screen all day and then reading all night is something I have discovered my eyes cannot currently cope with. So here's to getting new glasses and getting back on track with the reading. Having said all that, I am still six books ahead of where I need to be when it comes to my reading goal for 2022. I have finished 12 books, seven of them by new authors, and the next two books on my reading list are by authors I can add to the total for that personal challenge. So all good as far as I'm concerned. This is still book related, but has anyone else discovered book tabbing? I didn't realise that when I was at university using highlighters and post-it notes to mark relevant sections in my texts so that they were easier to find, I was book tabbing. I had forgotten how satisfactory it is to use post-its to remind myself of quotes and chapters that I want to comment on. This week was the first time I've used it for over a decade, but it's lovely and my latest read for the podcast looks fantastic. It seriously does. It's all shades of purples and pinks and blues. It looks beautiful. I will have to take a photo and post it over on Instagram. So check that out if you're interested. If you have any recommendations of books you'd love to hear me talk about, send them over to notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com or DM me on need underscore three underscore mugs on Twitter and I will be sure to take a look. We're now heading towards the latter part of February. So if you're looking for new books to add to your reading list, what about some of these new releases? If you're looking for something full of sex, BDSM, death and grief, then head to your local library or bookshop to pick up a copy of New Animal by Ella Baxter, which comes out on the 17th of February. Another book that I have been eagerly waiting for is also released on the 17th, again Rachel by Marion Keys, giving us another chance to take a look at the life of Rachel Walsh in this direct sequel to 2012's Rachel's Holiday. It will already be available by the time this episode is released, but the second book in the Crescent City series by Sarah J Mass, House of Sky and Breath, comes out on the 15th. And on the same day, a brand new novel from Stephen King hits the shelves, Gwendy's Final Task. The list is getting longer and longer the further into the year we move, so I'm going to have to figure out a better way of getting news of new releases to you without just sitting here and listing dates and titles, because I don't think that would be an entertaining listen. So how are things in the coffee household this week? I think that I may have got to the bottom, at least temporarily, of the cause of of my panic attacks. It's a fear of getting older. Yes, I know that there is absolutely nothing you can do about the passing of time, but with each year I become more and more conscious of the fact that I have yet to achieve anything that is palpable. I could look at my sister and say, she's had four kids, she has something for her retirement, she has a house that she owns, she has a husband, and all of that is true, but those are the accomplishments that she wanted, and they weren't anywhere on my list. The biggest issue I have at present is not 
that I have the feeling I've accomplished nothing. It's that I have no idea what sort of mark I want to make. I was never going to be someone who created something that changed the world. I have all the scientific ability of a duck. Of course, this is assuming ducks have no scientific ability. What do I know? I'm useless at science. I was never going to be someone who composed a beautiful piece of music that people remember for centuries after my death. Or someone who wrote a novel or poem that people have on their bookcases for their entire lives. So what do I want? I really don't know. I guess that everyone wants to make a mark in some way, whether that's through the memory others have of them after they're gone or the things that they have created while they were around. This is the cause of my current anxiety. I don't want to go without having done something that people remember and I'm currently terrified that this will be the case. Oh well, happy birthday to me. (laughs) Well, that's it for this week and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Good Pods, Spotify or Podchaser. You can follow me or DM me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs, on Instagram at notbeforecoffeepodcast or you can check out my website notbeforecoffee.co.uk. Well, I need another cup of coffee as I really haven't had enough today, so I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.